0: Several years ago, several brave youth sponsors assisted me in taking several vans full of boisterous middle school students to a summer youth conference in Myrtle Beach. We booked a hotel that was Let's call it historic. It was old. It was cheap. But there was probably nothing that happened to that hotel that middle schoolers could do to it to make it worse. We <laughs> we got them all in there. We were having a great conference one night. It was two in the morning, and I started dreaming that the refrigerator in our room was just making this awful noise. And in my dream, I was thinking, would somebody just go pound on that thing and make it stop? And as I slowly came to be awake, I realized, no, there's actually a noise. Once I realized it wasn't the refrigerator, I thought somebody was out on the highway just holding their horn down. So I went to the door to open up just to see what was going on. Maybe I could just make them stop because it was so irritating. When I opened the door, I was almost literally blasted back into the room by this ear-piercing noise and this bright flashing light and the sight of all the sprinklers going off in the corridors. The fire alarm was going off, and that was the noise that I was trying to ignore in my sleep. Uh, there was already several inches of water flowing down the corridor. I could see across the courtyard to all the other corridors, and the sprinklers were going off over there as well. Even with all that cacophony, no one in my room was awake. I had to literally go shake everyone and go, It's a fire, we gotta get out of here. We went up and down the hallways, pounding on the other rooms, getting everybody awake and everybody out. We did that for all the other guests as well. We made our way down the stairs to the parking lot where we gathered and we counted and we had everybody, and it was fine. Turns out the hotel wasn't on fire at all, it was okay. There was a family that had been driving all night to get there on vacation. They got there at 2 in the morning. The little kids were asleep in the car, so mom took one, dad took one. They were carrying their kids asleep on their shoulders. The little boy woke up on dad's shoulder as they were walking to their room, saw a shiny red box on the wall, and reached over and pulled the fire alarm. Everything was Okay. You know, as we've been studying through the minor prophets in the Bible, they remind me a lot of that story in this. The minor prophets were sent to give a message of warning from God to people, and many times the people found it to be annoying and they just wanted it to go away, but this was an important message that they were carrying because they were saying, look, whether you like it or not, whether you like my message or not, judgment's coming and you need to take action. You need to prepare for it. You need to repent. You need to change your ways. And as I uh, have been teaching through these minor prophets, and we're going to continue for a couple of weeks, I'm just going to give you full disclosure. I've come to this reluctantly. Several reasons for that, just as a pastor and a teacher. Number one... There's a big time gap here, and one of the principles in understanding the Bible, that you may find this helpful as well, is that to understand what it means now, we have to understand what it meant then. Well, we got 2,700 years of distance culturally and situationally that we have to overcome to understand what the prophets meant for us today. But it's even more than that. Just, it's, maybe it's just me, but when I was reading the Bible growing up, and as I've read it again and studied it, the, the prophets just seemed kind of cranky, harsh judgmental. Not my favorite thing to read, maybe not for you either. I'll just give you some examples. We talked about Amos the prophet last week. I chose intentionally not to preach from Amos chapter 4. Let me just read this for you. Amos said, listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. You're always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. I think you see why I didn't use that text. Oh, you go over to Isaiah, stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. Or how about Micah? We're going to be studying him today. Micah chapter 3, listen you leaders of Israel. You're supposed to know right from wrong, but you're the very ones who hate good and love evil. It gets graphic here. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones. You chop them up like meat for the cooking pot, but then you turn to God in in times of trouble. And I got in trouble for saying S-T-U-P-I-D in a sermon a few weeks ago. Now, granted, I shouldn't have said it. And it was like a four-year-old girl who called me out on it. But still, I'm, see what I'm saying when I say these guys are kind of harsh and cranky? And then some of the object lessons they use. I think object lessons are amazing. But I'll give you an example. Hosea, we're going to get to Hosea the prophet next week. Went out and married a prostitute. She left him for another guy. Hosea took her back several times. She fathered children with other guys and he raised them as his own for an object lesson. I think of Ezekiel the prophet who cooked food over a fire made out of poo for an object lesson to teach Israel how their actions and their idolatry had tainted them and corrupted them before God. I think of Jeremiah the prophet. This takes the cake. The guy, dude wore a pair of tidy, whitey underwear for several days without changing them, then buried them in the ground, waited a few days, dug them back up, and has these gross underpants. He goes around and shows people them and says, this is what you look like to God because you are disobeying him and you're being idolatrous. And I just look at that and I go, I'm not sure I want to preach through the minor prophets. I know they're in the Bible, but it's not pleasant reading, but... Last fall, when I was laying out the preaching calendar for this year, I just was compelled by God. I felt like we really needed to study these. Uh, And now here we're in 2020, and the way things have gone, I think I understand why he wanted us to hear from his prophets again. Man, they talked 2,700 years ago, but life in 2020 in some ways sounds just like the world they spoke into. And God's got a message for us. So a couple of reasons why we need to get into them. Number one, they're in the Bible, so we should study them. I don't want Habakkuk to come up to me in heaven and say, hey, what would you think of my writings? What would you think of my book? And I don't want to have to say, well, I didn't actually read it because it was a long time ago, and it's hard, and you're kind of cranky, and I don't know how to say your name. So they're in the Bible. We should study them. But then there's even more than that. God's prophets were speaking for God. And I know sometimes we think of prophets as telling the future, and they did some of that. But also they're just speaking to the situation at hand. And as I said before, they're like God's alarm, getting our attention. And I believe that God's got a word for us today. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and find Micah. We're going to get into it. Let's go ahead and start with Micah chapter 1 as he introduces himself. The Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth, chapter 1, verse 2. Attention, let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear The sovereign Lord's making accusations against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. The Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven and tramples the height of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet, flow into the valleys like wax in a fire, like water pouring down a hill. And why is this happening? Because the rebellion of Israel. Yeah, the sins of the whole nation. Micah's got a message of warning for people. And they would have been wise to listen to it. We would be wise to listen to it as well. What Micah looked into his world and saw, and he saw it through God's eyes. He saw a world where the rich were getting richer, which is not a problem in and of itself. But they weren't getting richer because they were making wise business decisions or taking risks and having it rewarded. It wasn't even because they were being blessed by God or working hard. They were getting wealthier by exploiting the poor and taking advantage of people and enslaving other people. And God looks at that and says, no, you don't do that. That's not how you treat people. You go to chapter 2, verse 1. What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night thinking of evil plans. You rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out simply because you have the power to do so. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you just take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. Go down to verse 8. You steal the shirts right off the back of those who trusted you, making them as ragged as men returning from battle. You've evicted women from their pleasant homes and forever stripped their children of all that God would give them. You know, and it's, I think it's really easy to listen to this and think, okay, yeah, 2,700 years ago, it was Game of Thrones, but we live in St. Charles County of the United States of America where everything is perfect and everyone is above average and everyone's nice to each other. And uh, in case you don't recognize that, I'm speaking sarcasm right now. And I'm fluent in it, sadly. Uh, the, the things that bother the prophets all the way back there are still happening in our world today, and it still angers the Lord to see us mistreating one another, and he is going to judge it, and we need to pay attention to that. And I get it. As as you're listening to me, you might be thinking, but I don't do this. I don't mistreat people. And I would agree with you. I'm sure that you're a very good person and even a godly person, That's one side of the coin, though. You don't want to hurt people intentionally or otherwise. But the other side of the coin is, do you seek their well-being? Not that you don't do bad things, but do you do good for other people? There was a story that Jesus told in Matthew 26, and the punchline was this. He said, every time you see someone who's hungry and you don't feed them, or somebody who's thirsty, you don't give them water, uh, they're sick, or they're in prison and you don't visit them, somebody's a stranger and you don't show them hospitality, or somebody's naked and you don't clothe them, Every time you neglect that person, it's as if you neglected me, Jesus says. He takes it personally, not only when we mistreat people, but when we also don't respond to the needs that we see around us. He expects more from us than to just leave people alone. John Ortberg says it this way. The events that horrified and appalled and broke and crushed the prophets Are still everyday occurrences in our world and we just don't want to know we don't want to see we don't want to anybody tell us about human misery and injustice so we just get used to it like you get used to the watch on your arm or you get used to the mess in your house you just don't see it anymore but the prophets noticed it that was their gifting that was their call god explicitly pushed them forward and said i want you to be my annoying harsh alarm to get people to wake up to what's happening so we need to pay attention I know 2020 has been a hard year for so many ways and for so many people, and I'm sure that you're sitting there going, I am paying attention. I'm aware. That's why I'm so disturbed. I'm not calling on you to watch the news even more and, and amp up your anxiety or your stress or your anger or your rage. I'm just simply asking you to pay more attention to this. To, to listen to what the word of the Lord is and to ask the Lord, what is it you're calling on me to do? I can't do everything, but I can do something. What is it that you expect me? What do you expect us as a church to do? What do you expect us to do as a community? Don't cover your head with a pillow and just hope that the sound goes away. Let's listen to Micah. Last part of this message, I just want to go to some very simple teaching that Micah gives from the Lord. Micah chapter 6, verse 6. So what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before the Lord most high with offerings of yearling calves? Okay, so should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people, the Lord's told you what's good and this is what he requires of you. Do what's right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Uh, I'm going to go back and walk through this. Did you notice the escalation in the text? I tried to highlight it with my voice. When he talked about, what are we going to do for God? What does he want from us? Do you want like burnt offerings? That That's simple. Like, most everybody could afford a burnt offering. Then he adds it up a little bit. The year-old calf, that's like upper class. You've got to have some money to pay for that. Then you get to the... A thousand rams, you got to be like the king of the country or a billionaire to afford that. No one can afford 10,000 gallons of olive oil flowing down the mountain, and it would absolutely be unthinkable that anyone would sacrifice their child. God didn't expect it, He didn't want it. That was what the pagans did. So He's increasingly like, is this what, what does God want from us? And Micah comes back and says, it's not all these grandiose religious gestures that God wants from me. He wants three very simple things. Let's just walk through them right now justice. God wants us to do the right thing. We looked at this at length last week. That was the message of Amos. God is a God of justice, and he expects us to be just as well. Baseball umpire Dave Hagler tells a story about he was driving in Boulder, Colorado, got pulled over for a speeding ticket. The officer was riding it. Meanwhile, Dave is pleading with him. Look, my insurance is going to go up. I usually drive slow. I'm just in a hurry today. Can you cut me a break? And the officer handed him the ticket and says, nope, if you don't like it, take it up with the officer in the court. So Dave's an umpire, right? He said, "As next ball game, wouldn't you know that the first batter up as Dave is umping behind the plate was that very police officer? And the officer looked at him, and he looked at the officer, and they both recognized each other, and he said, so how'd that ticket work out for you? And Dave said, you better swing at everything, because everything's getting called a strike today. You know, we just love the idea of justice when it comes to us. Because don't you hate it when somebody does something that uh, is unjust towards you, treats you unfairly? Do you not just hate it when somebody cuts you off in traffic or cuts the line in front of you or somebody gets an advantage over you that, because they cheated or they lied? We just, we, we relish movies that are focused around the revenge motif. You think about the outlaw Josie Wales with... Um, or uh, Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. You think about The Godfather or Revenant or Princess Bride. How many of you are quoting that right now as I say that? There's so many, re- The Avengers, uh, John Wick, they killed his dog. Of course he's seeking revenge. We love to put ourselves in those stories and see somebody exact their revenge and get justice where it's deserved. Shawshank Redemption. We, we love that. But here's what, what Micah is saying to us. Yes. Justice is good. God wants justice. You deserve justice. But God wants you to get just as worked up about the injustices in someone else's life as you do about the injustices that happen to you. He wants you to pay attention to everything that's going on that's wrong, not just the things that affect you. Sadly, injustice happens every day in the world, and we just don't want to know. We don't want to listen. We got enough on our plate. But we need to do a better job of listening. One area that we need to do a better job of listening is simply listening to our African-American brothers and sisters, especially our Christian brothers and sisters. There's a speaker and uh, author. He's Christian. His name's Kyle J. Howard. He tells a story about getting pulled over a few months ago, maybe, in Atlanta. And uh, it was he said, completely my fault. I pulled my phone out to put in an address, and that's a big no-no in Atlanta. The officer pulled him over. Kyle had had some previous bad experiences with the police when he was a kid. So he was like actually having PSTD. I think I got that right. He was just having some flashbacks to that. Starts panicking. So as he put his phone down, took his mask off, put his hands out, waiting for the officer to come to the window, his hands started shaking. He was so nervous and scared, which then freaked him out because he realized now I look like I'm guilty of something or on drugs or something, which made him panic even more. By the time the officer got to the window, he was just melting down and he was trying to tell the officer, I'm not a danger to you. I'm just really scared. But he couldn't even get the words out. And the officer, fortunately, for him realized what was going on he said it's okay he in a very calming voice said I'm here for your safety this is going to be okay you're just getting a ticket it's going to be all right and and Kyle was okay but even as he was handed the ticket he couldn't literally sign it because his hands were still shaking so badly you may not know what that's like I may not know what that's like But we need to listen to people who are saying, this is my reality. This is the fear that I live with every day, the fear I have for my loved ones. I don't know how it's always going to go when I interact with a law enforcement officer. 99% of the time, it goes wonderfully because there's a lot of good people on all sides of things. But there are, sadly, still cases of injustice. And we need to listen to the experiences of other people who say, you know what? I'm glad that you get justice, but I don't always. So let's let's listen to that. We need to stand in solidarity with the people around us who don't receive justice. Uh, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I love something that he once said. He said, we live in a world where we need to share responsibility. It's really easy to say, it's not my child, it's not my community, it's not my world, it's not my problem. But then there are those who see the need and they respond. Mr. Rogers says, I consider those people to be my heroes. It's like what the prophet Isaiah would say. He said this, learn to do good and seek justice and help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Make their cause as if it was yours. Now, I just got to point out what Micah would tell us. In a world that's only about justice, it's going to get really harsh really quickly. And you need to balance that out. He says, not only do we want justice, but God expects mercy. He wants us to do the kind thing. Justice paired with mercy. You ever notice how the people who deserve mercy the least are the ones who need it the most. Last year, there were four Jewish teenagers who were walking around the Chestnut Hill Reservoir in Boston when they saw what they thought was a body in the water. They went down to the water's edge. Sure enough, there was a dude floating in the water face down. Freaked them out. They ran, and they got a security guard very quickly at this scene. Security guard got in the water, pulled the man to the shore, started resuscitating him, and it was a great thing that those kids saw him and got him out of the water because he would have died Very soon, had he not been pulled out and saved. Now, here's where things get interesting. The police officer who was resuscitating him noticed that he had a Nazi swastika tattooed on his hand. Here's the irony. Four Jewish kids have just saved a racist. Now, later they were asked, knowing what you know about him now, would you still have rescued him? And these guys were cool. They said, yeah, good deed's a good deed. It's part of life. We should be helping everyone out. But they also made sure, they said, we want to make sure that he knows that it was four Jewish kids who pulled him out of the water and saved him. I don't know, but I like to think that that guy who was rescued maybe rethought some of the decisions and the choices in his life because somebody had shown him some mercy, some grace that was far beyond what he deserved based on his actions and his behaviors and his attitudes. I like what the Apostle Paul would write to Christians in the New Testament. This is Titus chapter 3. This is so good. Listen to this. This describes our world. Once, we too were foolish and we were disobedient. We were misled, slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. Hey, who needs mercy in your world? I'm not talking about who deserves it, but who needs you to show them a kindness that they don't deserve based on how they've treated you or how they've talked to you or the things that they've done? I'll tell you what, hatred and anger have never changed my mind. But people being kind to me, and I've needed kindness a whole lot in my life, that has changed me. It has called me to something greater than myself. It's given me something to aspire to. It's given me the room and the freedom to change my mind and to admit that I was wrong. And that's, that's what God is offering to us and it's what he calls on us to offer other people. Yes, things should be made right. Justice should be done. But we also need to extend mercy whenever we can to show kindness to people because people desperately need it. And it just all comes down to this last thing that he says. We just all need to be humble. We just need to walk humbly with God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Just realize what he's saying here is, you don't always get it right. As much as you think you do, you, you just don't. There, there are so many things in your life that you're going to look back on later and realize, I wasn't nearly as good a person as I thought I was. But that's the problem. There are so many Karens in the world who feel like it's their God-appointed responsibility to point out what's wrong with everyone else. Are you familiar with Karen? And apologies to all of you Karens who've been saddled with this, but Karen is the, the term. Like, if you've never seen Karen before, I've got a picture of her. I actually have a picture of mega Karen. Yeah, and Karen right now would like to speak to my manager and tell my manager how wrong I am for even bringing her up in this message uh, Karen is a term for anyone who just goes around telling everybody else what they're doing wrong and how they need to fix it. And Karen is never wrong. Karen loves to put people in their place. Karen loves to, uh, you know, just tell everybody why they're wrong. And it's, in church world sometimes it's people who say, well, God has given me a gift of being a prophet. And I like to go around and just point out things so people can make the changes they need to. And I would say, I don't think that's the gift of prophecy. I think it's the gift of being a jerk. <laughs> You need to dial that in a little bit because there's a little bit of arrogance and there's a lack of humility to going around and pointing out everyone else's flaws. And we don't need that all the time. Sometimes we do need someone to come alongside us and very gently put their arm around us and say, hey, I love you and some of these things need to change. But we don't get extra points by just telling everybody where they're wrong all the time. You need to be humbler. And and here's the thing, if you recognize yourself in this, because all of us know somebody else who's a Karen, it's never us. It's never us who's judgmental and harsh. But if you suspect this might be you, just understand, we already know it about you. We love you, we accept you, and we're waiting as God changes you, just like he's doing with us. That's what I love about connection. We just accept each other while we're changing and as we're growing and as God's working on us. I need to wrap this up. In his book, Faith That Endures, author Ronald Boyd McMillan talks about a conversation he had in China several years ago with a persecuted pastor there named Wang Mingdao, and uh, he'd spent several decades in prison because he just uh, stuck to his faith, and as a result, God really developed a deep faith in his life. So Mingdao was talking with Ron, and uh, he asked Ron, young man, how do you walk with God? And Ron answered him like very quickly. Said, "Well, you gotta read your Bible and pray, and I I fast and I practice solids. And Ming Dao just cut him off and said, "No." And he very mischievously said this wrong answer: To walk with God, one must go at a walking pace. And that's the bottom line here. When we think about what does God want from me? What does He want from the world? God wants a relationship with you. God wants to walk. With you. And as you and I are in our more humble moments and we're more honest and transparent, at least with God, we realize I'm not very good company. I got a lot of growing up to do before I will be somebody that can actually walk with God. But here's the amazing thing God offers to walk with you right now as you are. He accepts you as you are and He will change you. When you commit to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, Jesus teaches you how to live in a new way. He shows you things you would have never figured out on your own. The Holy Spirit living within you empowers you to do things that you never could have done. You couldn't even imagine imagined yourself being that kind, that gracious, that forgiving, that loving, but that's what God does. There's a great verse where Jesus describes what he wants to do for you. It's in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus wants to teach you God is so patient with you. Now, there is a time where there's a cutoff and God's grace only goes so far. There will be a day of judgment, but right now, God is being patient with you and kind with you because he wants everyone to to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And if there's something that God is speaking into your heart and your world right now, very gently, but insistently, don't roll over and go back to sleep. I want you to listen to what God is calling on you to do. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you just embraced justice for yourself and others, mercy and kindness with yourself and others, and humility before God, can you imagine what your family would be like, what our church would be like, what our world would be like if we all said, above all else, we want what God wants. We want to be just, merciful, and humble. That could change everything. Let me pray about that right now with you. Father, we come to you and we admit uh, in our most humble moments. And, and we're just being honest. Uh, we're way too arrogant. We're prideful. We hang on to things that we should let go of. We think we'll figure it out. We don't trust you the way we should. And what, what happens is we're seeing it in our world. People get hurt. People get exploited. People get used. Our lives aren't anything like what we had dreamed they could be or what they should be. But Father, we're coming to you because we're asking you for help We want to be the people that you want us to be. We want you to change us. I'm asking you, Father, right now, for anyone who's participating in this message and watching, that you would just push their hearts towards you, that you would draw them closer to you by your love and your grace and your acceptance, that they could let go of things they cling to that they shouldn't, they could let go of hatred, a desire for revenge, and just embrace the love that you have for us and for everyone. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in my life and in this church's life, and I pray you continue to do that that you would protect and guard people's hearts and minds, and most of all, that we would learn to trust Jesus and follow him. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're so glad that you're here today. We're all on a journey together. We're learning to walk with God and to walk with one another. Maybe for you, you're new to the faith journey and this is all a new thing for you. You're exploring what it means to be connected to God or to to be connected with the church. That's great. And we're here to help one another get connected to God and each other through Jesus. So maybe for you, uh, you're new to church, you're trying to figure this out. How do I grow spiritually? How do I grow in my faith? Maybe for you, you're ready to do something and your next step is generosity. We'd love to help you with that. Or it's just to get involved and to meet some other people. Maybe for you, you're ready to say yes to Jesus and become a Christian or to be baptized. Again, whatever your next step on your faith journey is, we're here to take it with you. We want to walk together through life and learn from God, learn from Jesus about how to do that. So let's connect. Use the connect card below or use the comments section to start the conversation. We'd love to help you take your next step together. God bless